Welcome to the Hacking the Gap podcast. Uh, this is Greg Voison, the author of Hacking the Gap, a journey from intuition to innovation and beyond. And today I have joining me from New Mexico. And for any of you who've listened to my interviews before, it's Stephen Kotler. And Stephen has basically written many books, but the ones that you're going to know him for are a book called Bold, Abundance, and the most recent one uh, is The Rise of Superman. And he has a new one coming out. What's the new one, Stephen? Uh, Stealing Fire. And the okay. most recent one is Tomorrowland. Oh, Rise Tomorrowland. of Superman actually came out in 2013. That was followed by Bold and Tomorrowland. And the next one is Stealing Fire, which comes out in February. Okay. So he is also the director of research of the Flow Genome Project, um, and I will be putting links to all of Stephen's websites, um, some very cool videos that he's done um, around this topic of hacking flow. And obviously there's a, there's a constant theme for Stephen throughout, and that is that he is so passionate about the same topics that we're going to be speaking with him about here on this uh, brief podcast. So Stephen, I've been doing a lot of research for this book and I've interviewed people like yourselves and it's interesting the uh, perspective that I'm getting on this. And so my first question for you is this, what role do you believe, if any, intuition plays in helping you connect the dots while innovating, designing, writing, Whatever it is that you're building or designing or innovating, do you believe that innovation and intuition plays a role? And if it does, what's that role? Let's back up a second. How are you defining intuition? Well, there's a definition of intuition in the book. Uh, it got me a little off guard, but intuition to me, uh, I'm coming from two perspectives. Uh, when I've interviewed individuals around intuitions. When I talk to software engineers, they'll tell me that there is no theogic or spiritual element to this. They'll say, hey, Greg, this is, this is what happens in the subconscious. What happens is I'm able to connect the dots as a result of all the knowledge that went into the subconscious. So I'm coming at it from a definition of really, uh, what I would say is, is there a theolo theogic or spiritual element that you believe is at work that's helping you to connect those dots to really have some high level of intuition? I don't believe there's a spiritual element uh, helping me connect the dots, but I, I, you know, unless, you know, I mean, okay, I don't know how to answer that question because if there's okay. a spiritual element helping me connect the dots, that spiritual element is the subconscious processing information, you know, with much more complexity and thoroughness than the conscious mind. It's pattern recognition and lateral thinking and the fact that we have embodied cognition and there you know, are tons of neurons in your gut. Mm -hmm. with get gut feeling. Like, so to me, the, like if something is sacred here, the biology is sacred. And, um, I, you know, and, I'll, and I'll stop there. But, you know, I mean, I think the intuition in high performance, it, it's just fundamental to high performance. Right, you have to be able to kind of shut down the self, get past your emotions, and really listen to that voice with that voice within. I think that's you know it drives a, a lot of kind of good creative breakthroughs. 
Okay. So fair enough. And I, I mean, also, and I, you know, and more than anything else, like the intuition that there might be a pattern here, right? Not even like I'm not spotting it. I'm not seeing it. It's just like this sense that there's a pattern here, and I, if I keep looking, I'll find it. I think that's fundamental to discovery in every single field. Okay. So you wouldn't you'd say for the arts, the sciences, uh, writing, everything, every field, right? Business. Engineering. I mean, okay. Yeah, I mean, you know, I was on the phone yesterday with a really high-level kind of financial venture capitalist guy, and we were talking about, you know, hunches and how, uh, you know, how he'll survey a bunch of different technologies and have a hunch. There's something interesting happening at an intersection of like four of them that nobody looked at before, and he'll start poking around, those sorts of things. Huge. So look, you've and, interviewed in your career so many noted authors, thought leaders, scientists. Was there any one person that stuck out that you can remember that actually uh, talked to you about how he's using intuition? I know it's frequently talked about that Warren Buffett says, you know, that is the most important thing to him in making business decisions. And I think that one, yeah, obviously it's been used a lot. The question is, have you found anybody that really says, hey, you know, intuition well, is really Sure. I mean, like, I, you know, both myself and the Flow Genome Project, and, 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 and again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you definition. I'm going to change your definitions here a little bit, I think. But, uh, and uh, Josh Waiskin, who wrote The Art of Learning, who uh, coaches really high-performance financial guys. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant mind. You know, both of us use uh, a – you can – I mean, the brain is a giant pattern recognition system, and you can program it to solve problems for you. You can – you know, and when those answers show up, sometimes they show up as intuitions. Sometimes they – you know, you can, you can generate them through a certain writing process. There are ways to use this, and, and you know – there's ways to do this. There's, it's been studied, it's figured out, and you can, you know, you can, you can sort of program the, the mind to come to these kind of intuitive insights for you. And I think a lot of kind of really upper level high performance in every arena demands that you, you learn how to do this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So that being the case, I totally understand your perspective from which you're coming about intuition. Do you believe that you gain insights into finding solutions, and where do you believe that these em insights emanate from? Let's talk about the scientific side of this, if you would, because obviously you're saying the subconscious, or drawing upon that subconscious. Tell me a little bit more. So, the conscious mind can pay attention to roughly 120 bits of information at once. Right. This is Mahaley Csikszentmihalyi's work. Um, if 60 bits is what it takes to listen to me talk, if you're listening to two people talk at the same time, that's it. That's the whole shebang. Right. To put it in different terms, working memory, the contents of the conscious mind, caps out for most people at about four items. Right. You can, at the extreme end, get up to nine in in, in your working memory, but like that's it. Those are so. If you're trying to come up with an intuitive breakthrough, a creative insight, and you have a maximum of four parts to move around, how many big ideas do you think you're coming up with? The subconscious, meanwhile, is extremely, or you know, to be more precise, intrinsic processing versus extrinsic processing. Uh -huh. um, 
extremely fast, right? 2,000 times faster than the conscious mind in some cases. Um, it has unlimited RAM. Literally, we can't, when we're trying to figure out how much, many different connections the brain can make, we mm -hmm. can't come up with them. And we've already know there are, you know, more connections in the brain than there are stars in the sky. Um, and, uh, and it's very energy efficient. So when you trade processing from the conscious mind to the subconscious, let the subconscious solve the problem for you, and it you know, pops up in your consciousness, um, certainly feels magical. It's, you know, it's a, it's, you know it's, what you've got is like analog computing versus the most powerful supercomputer that's ever been built, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, what you're, that, that's the difference you're looking at. So, of course, it looks supernatural on occasion. I mean, you know, as I, as I said kind of earlier, to, to me, it's, you know, it's, I think one of the things that I've learned as I've gotten older as a creative is you can actually be a creative, um, whatever the field, without kind of breakthrough aha insights, the kind that really require intuition. Mm -hmm. um, you can sort of muscle through creativity and just sort of sweat through it. Um, but Solving, for example, in writing, great big structural problems when things have to get like moved around in really macroscopic ways. I think the same thing happens in when you're, you know, in science discovery and technology discovery. Um, you, I think the, those kind, you need the you need those intuitive insights because you can't. It's too many variables. The conscious mind can't process it. So if you're saying you're muscling your way through it, that's what I heard you say, and and this particular. Uh, part of this book is really hacking it. We're talking about hacking the gap, but to me, the shortest distance between two points with the least amount of resistance and optimizing your human potential. Um, how do you basically make that connection? Then? If that's my definition of gapology, right? Well, I mean, uh, you, you know, know, and if I've got the, a muscle the, my way through this, I don't well, really I mean, want a muscle. If you're talking, I mean, you know, I'm having a very hard time separating, say, what you're calling intuition from creative problem-solving skills, right? Like, okay. I'm not sure where those lines are, but um, I, you know, I study flow, right? State right. of optimal performance, and the research is massively consistent about flow's ability to heighten kind of almost all aspects of creative problem-solving from aha insight, because of what it does to how it tunes brain waves, to kind of big creative pattern recognition stuff because of what it does to neurochemistry. Um, even when, you know, you get this, the transient hypofrontality, the shutting down of the prefrontal cortex, which is why time passes strangely and your sense of self goes away. When your sense of self goes away and your inner critic turns off and flow, you're no longer judging your ideas so harshly. So again, creativity goes up. And when, when, when that prefrontal cortex is turned down, you know, not only are you getting more information, right, more kind of like the content of intuition, there's, there's more pattern recognition, more access to more of the brain, but you can hear your inner voice far, far more loudly, far more quickly. So, like, what's the fastest way between two points for high performance? Well, we've known that. I mean, there's 150 years of research. It's flow. Mm -hmm. we're, we're there. Well, and I, and I truly appreciate your perspective. I think... The key here for my listeners and the people that would purchase this book is really about understanding various sides of where this comes from. And so I have another question for you. Do you have any kind of belief or understanding that developing something new, innovating something, finding a solution to something 
has any connection at all to any theological or spiritual practices? And do you then believe that there might be a power greater than the human force at work or what's actually happening between those synapses in your brain? So you're going to have to repeat the first the first question. So the first part of the question is when you're trying to find insights and solutions, innovate and come up with new things, whether it's writing, developing a product, do you believe that at some point during oh, this? Oh, spiritual. Well, so, I mean, again, a, I don't know what you mean by spiritual practice, but if you're asking me. Meditation, does, mindfulness. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, Meditate. All huge of those role. Things. Huge okay. role. Why? Because okay. they're, do, they're doing the same thing flow does. They're shutting down the prefrontal cortex. They're okay. dropping the brain down towards alpha theta states. And um, those, these are the hallmarks of creativity and intuition. Right? We know, for example, aha insight from research done at Northwestern. Always the signature of aha insight in the brain is a spike in gamma waves. Gamma waves are a very weird brain wave. They, they're, they're very fast very rare, and they only show up during what's called binding, which is when a bunch of new ideas sort of come together for the first time. And it's the telltale signature of aha insight. What's interesting is the gamma wave is coupled, meaning it can only show up when another wave is present. That only other wave is theta waves. So theta only shows up in the hypnagogic state when you're falling asleep, uh, in REM states, in flow states or in deep, deep meditative states, the kind that, you know, 20 years in a Tibetan monastery will get mm-hmm. you, um, mm-hmm. right? So, and we know that. So, like, getting to, if you can put your brain into a theta state, which meditation can do, um, other spiritual practices as well, um, you're on the, you're perched neurologically on the border between aha insight, Right, you're you're right there already. So and you know, so all that is you know, extremely you know well documented. And, you know, by the way, psychedelics will do the exact same thing, right? And this mm-hmm. is James Fadiman's microdosing research dating back to the '60s. He's now conducting you know more studies. Um, we see the same. And, and by the way, the same processes underlie psychedelics as underlie spiritual experiences and flow states. You're looking at the same thing. This is how the brain creates insight. Um, it's fascinating. So uh, obviously, you know, you're, I'm taking a much, uh, how do you want to call it, broader brush view in my book. You've done so much more research with me, which is why I'm happy to have this interview with you. And, you know, this actually could be influencing some of the, uh, the input into those chapters as well. So, you know, in your estimation, if you were to create a chart like, like what I just sent to you, the Hacking the Gap chart, do you see any sequence of events that occur in the development of an innovative new product or idea or service or a book and or an, a music or whatever it might be that you're creating the creative process and if so what are they because from my estimation Stephen, this is just my viewpoint and you know when you write a book you virtually have to let people kind of see it how you see it, unless you're writing it from a scientific standpoint. But the the reality to me is, is that I do see a sequence. And I wanted to know if you see any sequence. Well, so here's the great thing about what you've done. Your order's a little different. Everybody's order's a little different. But like your map, there is a 
long-standing, going back to the 60s, 50s, 40s, the creative process has been mapped, the process that leads us from kind of, you know, insight straight through. And, you know, you're, you've kind of, you know, you've got all, all the steps. Some of them are a little bit out of order for how other people see it. This also maps onto the flow cycle because the flow cycle, the cycle that the body has to go through to go through, get into a flow state and out of a flow state and back into another one, mm -hmm. that also maps onto this creative process. There's incubation periods. There's, you know, deep listing periods. All that, all that stuff shows up. I also think, I'm just looking at your chart, right? And, you know, certainly... I, you know, one of the topics that I've spent a long time studying is uh, what I call long haul creativity. I'm not so much interested in how are you creative for a project or a book or whatever, but how do you sustain top level creative, intuitive, you know, insight performance over a 60 year career, right? That's really interesting to me. Mm -hmm. Not a lot of people have worked there. I'm one of the few people I think who's played there, but like managing your ed energy, big part of the game. It's also a big part of the creative game, right? Um, really, really important. And, you know, the, the funny thing about this whole, this whole thing is like your last circle, right? It should be about 10 times the size it is. Oh yeah. I understand. Right. Cause you like, you know what I mean? Like intuition to even to innovation. Right. And I, you know, I thought innovation was hard, but like getting stuff into the real world, the last mile problem, <laughs> right. Is it's so much of this ball game, and it's the I, you know for me, this is why long haul creativity is interesting because creatives and any stripe, and I actually believe more and more of us like you can't be successful today without understanding every step on your wheel, right? It's there's no forget about it. Like creativity is well established as the most important kind of characteristic in, in 21st century business leadership. Like we just study after study finds this, so you have to master all this stuff. But that last mile is um, not creative. It's not always no, it's intuitive. Not. And I right? write about That's, that. I write that right. the implementation stage is, in fact, the most difficult stage. Once you've gone through all these other stages, the implementation stage makes the others look like candy. You know, there was it, a it, thing. It, I don't know is. if you remember this. In Silicon Valley, like four or five years ago, there was this rush of people who like – I don't know what they did. They fancied themselves wannabe venture capitalists. I couldn't figure it out, but like they'd come up to me and they'd say things like, I'd be like, what do you do? You know, I'm an idea guy. I, I think up things. That's what I do. That's what people they think up. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Because you guys are a dime a dozen. You're everywhere. Find me the guy who can take your idea and make it real to the world. That's the guy I'm interested in. Exactly. Exactly. Now, I'm glad that you appreciate the chart again things might be a little bit out of sequence but the basic steps are there it's I, important I, I gotta tell you something. it's interesting right uh i spent some time i spent a lot of time with a lot of people who train really high performance people and mm -hmm. you know it's interesting because i you know i spent a guy who trained you know chess masters and spent some time with the navy seals and we have our own at the flow genome project and ultimately if you start boiling things down you're going to see all the same moving parts Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, they're like, we're hacking human biology and it's only going to hack in one direction, right? There are certain knobs and levers. Every now and again, somebody comes along like Wim Hof who says, hey, there's a new knob here nobody's ever looked at. Um, there's an evolutionary stressor response that can be used to hack human performance in a way that we haven't figured out before. And suddenly a whole, you know, whole new research avenue is, is born. That, ha that happened over the past couple of years, right? But as a general rule, 
everybody, you know, all roads ultimately lead to Rome or at least to the Death Star. So a question then for you. Um, as just this is you, Stephen. Do you have any special techniques that you employ or that you practice to help you have breakthroughs? So for instance, you know, I've been interviewing a lot of people. Daily meditation comes up, contemplation comes up, communing with nature comes up, you know, whatever it is. And if so, how important are these practices to keeping your head clear, open, and your consciousness open for breakthroughs, insights, and ideas? So let me get, like, I'm going to give you two different sets of practices okay. that I do on a daily basis. We train people to do it with the Flow Genome Project, um, and they show up in a lot of other people's uh, arsenal as well. Not exactly. There's a couple things that are totally new here. But so if you want intuitive insight, right, breakthrough insights, mm -hmm. you have to do two things. The first thing you have to do is actually load the brain with information. And the best way to do that is books. If you're looking for deep insight, sometimes, sometimes long podcast interviews. I always say that like for the first 40 minutes of most podcasts, you're going to get somebody's stump speech. But if like somebody like Tim Ferriss who does two hours on high performance, by the end of it, you're into the nitty gritty. There's real stuff, you know, coming out. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but I books work really well here and I, I – tell everybody you should read 50 pages of a 25 to 50 pages of a book every day outside your field. And that's really key mm, because mm. we specialize in the modern world. And what happens when you specialize and you drill down and you drill down and you drill down is there's very, the brain is a pattern recognition system. It's looking to connect ideas. And when there's like a millimeter of gap between the ideas, there's not really any connections to be made. And what you're really getting for, when the brain makes a connection between ideas, what's called pattern recognition, it releases a tiny squirt of dopamine. It's a feel-good pleasure drug, but it also amplifies pattern recognition. So it's a feedback loop. So why in a flow state do I, creative insights tend to spiral? You have one breakthrough, you have a bunch in a row. Because mm -hmm. of dopamine and norepinephrine amplifying pattern recognition, so you're looking for the, you want that you want to make that first connection, that first insight as easy as possible to obtain. If you're reading in your own specialty all the time, you're not giving your brain enough kind of resources to make intuitive connections. It, your brain will find connections. It's what it does, right? Mm -hmm. Automatically. So. You know, if your field is microeconomics, read about race car driving. Read a book on Muhammad Ali. Read Black Lives, Why Black Lives Matter. You know what I mean? Like, take your pick, but read outside your considerably outside your field every day, 25 to 50 pages. Okay. You are feeding the pattern recognition system. Really That's important. That's awesome. That's awesome okay. advice. What's so, the second thing? The second thing is, and there are various ways to do this, but I, I mentioned this earlier in the program. So we have a built-in pattern recognition system, and you can use it. And it sort of to use it, you basically hack your way around your wheel, and here's how you do it. And this is, the instructions are actually really specific. You need to – I like to do this at the end of my work day, okay? And there's a reason for this. Um, but let me give it – I'll tell you how I use it as a writer, and, and, and then we'll talk about it in other fields for a second. At the end of my workday, I sit down and I write myself the problem, that, the creative problem that I need an intuitive breakthrough insight to solve. 
I don't like I will say tomorrow I need to start chapter seven in Stealing Fire and I'd like the opening scene to have something to do with elephants and something to do with motorcycles and it needs to be a little funny with some tension and maybe some kind of mind blowing technology at the end. Right? Like it's that vague. But as much precision as you can get in there, but you're sort of almost looking for the feel of it and everything else, whatever the question can be. Like I've been looking at technology stocks in the virtual reality stack, you know, blah, blah, blah. You get that kind of question. Doesn't matter, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You then need to take your mind off the problem. You need an incubation period. Now, during the incubation period, in the beginning, when you're first playing with this, you want to, if you, if you always want to do some kind of low-grade physical exercise, go for a long walk. Albert Einstein okay. famously used to row a boat in the middle of Lake Geneva and stare at the clouds. So that's contemplation in nature. Meditation is good here. Um, building model airplanes, actually, because the tactile component really distracts your brain, um, will work or uh, uh, here as, as well. Um, doesn't really matter. And then on the back end, and you can go to sleep and wake up the next morning. In the beginning, you might probably want to do that. And the next morning, it's an automatic writing exercise. You have to write by hand. Doing this, by the way, in, when you write the first time and the second time, do not write on a computer. There's a very strong link between handwriting and parts of the brain that you need to activate for this process. So handwriting actually matters here. Um, so you're saying handwriting out this question. Not handwriting out the questions, and you're going right. to handwrite the answer, right? You're not going to do it. You're not going to type. Okay. Um, uh, it's too recent evolutionary, too recent adaptation. We haven't been doing it long enough, so the brain just isn't hooked up right. Okay. Um, that Excellent. said, you, so at the back end, you literally just start writing. It's an automatic writing process. You write, start writing. The answer to my question is, and you sort of like let it come out, and you just keep writing. And if you don't have an answer, you write, I have got nothing to say. I have no idea what my answer is. I was thinking about yesterday. You know, just and mm-hmm. you write, do it for start for three minutes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you will find very, very quickly you will start to get your answers because your brain is a built-in pattern recognition system and you can actually program it. It will work for you. Fascinating um, nobody does technique. It, yeah. but nobody knows it. So if you want to read more about one version of this, Lee Slodoff, the creator of MacGyver, has created something called the MacGyver Method. That is exactly what I just laid out for you. Um, if you want to hear Josh Waitzkin talk about the version he utilizes with finance guys, listen to his first interview with Tim Ferriss, his podcast. Um, what it gets interesting is this. As you get better at this practice, you can start to use it more quickly. So in the beginning, you know, you write at the end of the day, you wake up the next morning, and you always want to do big creative problem solving first thing in the morning, and you mm-hmm. want to do it as quickly as possible. Do not check your email first. Do not do any of those things because you don't want to engage with the real world. You want your prefrontal cortex to stay quieted down so your self stays quiet. Um, you, want, you want your brain waves to stay closer to alpha, which was where you, you, know, you were sleeping. You were in, you want, so you know, don't engage with the world. Wake up, do, cre- do this creative stuff first and, you know, and go into that. But as you go about your day, as you get better at this, if you're going to go, say, for a workout, well, right before you go for the workout, write yourself a question. When you come back from the workout because you've just done the same thing, you know, use it then. You, you can use this throughout the day. If you're going to lunch with friends and it's going to be a really fun and engaging and immersive conversation that will get you out of yourself and out of your way, um, that sometimes will work. So you can use this throughout the day to accelerate 
breakthrough after breakthrough after breakthrough. Um, and as long as you're kind of feeding the brain new ideas, right, mm-hmm. you're feeding the brain on the front end, it has material to, to, to select these patterns. Now, of course, there are lots and lots of deeper patterns, harder problems that you're going to have to, like, play these games for months and months and months to solve. There right. are, you know, there, there, there will all, always be those. Um, but absolutely, you know, there's lots of techniques to accelerate through. Well, that's... Those, are, those are two that I use on a daily basis um, and, you know, to, to great effect. And, 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 you know, we train people in them and a lot of other people use them and to great effect. Well, you know, the great thing about it is it's practical and it's easy. And when I say this, you've given some really, really practical advice in the last five minutes about what you said. And it's it, it's even enlightening to me because it, it's not, if I'm doing it, I'm doing it subconsciously. Uh, yes, I'm a ferocious reader, I, but, but I'm not reading out of my field. I'm getting all these books on mastery and personal growth and all these people that send me, you know, books and books and books and books. But to actually take up a, a different book and read it, because I rarely have time. Yeah, get outside your it's field. It's not, not happening, right? Yeah, get uh, outside. And by the way, for people in personal growth, I always suggest one pl- one fun place to start is biography. Yeah, okay. Right? Like, it's obvious, but you start reading, like, lives of great thinkers, lives of great men and women. Ben um, Franklin's biography. <laughs> with, uh, which is a great one if you read uh, – um, What's his name? The the same guy who wrote the Steve Jobs biography. I'm losing his name all of a sudden. Yeah, I know who you're um, talking Walter about. Isaacson. Walter Isaacson. I'm sorry. Right. Runs the Aspen Institute. Um, uh, his biographies are awesome, but they're you know very very useful because one of the things that emerges right is start reading two or three or four biographies. I will tell you by the way, I got the most breakthrough insight into myself emotionally. I made tremendous emotional progress as a person when I started reading biographies of action sport athletes when I was writing Rise of Superman. Um, because, because I have the same – A, I'm an action sport athlete, but B, my risk tolerances were set by action sports. Mm-hmm. And they're very different from the rest of the world, and that produces a very different perspective and view on life and everything else. And I started seeing myself and seeing – stuff that I had dealt with growing up, like in their biographies. And I was like, I, who would have thought that like reading biographies of skaters and surfers and, you know, and I would have, you know, I cleared through some emotional rubble from a long time ago by doing that. That's the coming, I mean, you know, it's a different kind of creative insight, but if you don't think I'm more productive as a result, you're crazy. Oh, uh, immensely so, I'm sure, because you had a breakthrough. It's like when, you know, I took the the courses at U- University of Santa Monica in spiritual psychology, we do this work. And, uh, you know, some of the breakthroughs that I had as a result of digging into what my character was like were probably one of the best things that I ever did. And it was about, you know, fundamentally questioning, you know, where I was coming from and where did this come from so that I could look at it and say, okay, how am I going to change it? Now, you know, you're probably the best and the foremost authority on flow. And when you're in flow, one, how do you explain the experience? And two, what do you think that you do to attain that state of being prior to getting into that state of flow? Because, you know, a lot of my people are asking me about flow, and there couldn't be anybody more knowledgeable than you about flow to talk about this. So the first half of the question, uh, second half of the question is flow hacking. First half of the question is, what do I mean by flow and what does it feel what, like? What, what is the experience of being in flow? If you were to just 
talk to okay. an audience like you're talking yeah, about for sure. So I mean, because I asked right. the question this morning and, you know, I had an audience of 40 people, all business people. And I said, how many of you have actually been in a state of flow? And there were only four hands that went up. And I was like, 